0: Welcome back to Exploring Faith, Pursuing Grace. This is Solo Episode 13, and it's called What I Hope You Get Out of This, A Few Thoughts on Why I Do What I Do. And this article can be read on danielcrogers.substack.com. You can subscribe for free today to read articles on Tuesdays and Thursdays. If you know me personally, you know I'm a bit of a jack-of-all-trades. Of Of course, the master-of-none part does apply. I've learned how to do card tricks, solve a Rubik's Cube, tinker with a few different instruments, throw different frisbee throws, ride a skateboard, hike, and my most recent endeavor has been to learn tricks on a diving board. I'm not flexible at all. There's more I could mention, like yo-yoing, jump rope tricks, video games, and of course, carrying as many chairs as I can at the church potluck to impress the ladies. But that's more natural ability than learned talents, just ask my wife, Laura. But while some of these come and go with little to no actual development, like the yo-yo, Bible study and and thinking about and talking about God has been a constant in my life for quite some time. I began practicing preaching when I was a teenager, and I've always been drawn to in-depth Bible study and tackling the tough questions. Talking about, writing about, and teaching— What I learn is also a necessity. When I've tried to step away or get some other kind of job or keep it to myself, I feel tortured. If I'm not working in the ministry in some way, I just don't feel like myself. Like Paul said Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. But why is it necessary? Why do I have to do it? What is my motivation? I don't think it's my ego, though that may have something to do with it, since we all could die to ourselves in some way. And it's not that I'm trying to earn my way into heaven or get more stars in my crown, though I may have felt that panicked motivation at some point. Now, I really don't think it's an improper motive, but what is it? Why do I, as a Christian, as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a person, as a friend, feel compelled to put myself through the heartache, disappointment, stress, and anxiety that often accompanies the life of a minister? Well, that's what I'm trying to figure out, and I'm inviting you along for the ride in this podcast. The early years. When I first started preaching and teaching through the scripture, I believe there were a few main motivations for me. One, a love for God, the Bible, and the pursuit of truth. Two, a desire to emulate my granddaddy and other ministers I treasured. And three, the terror of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5.11 in the good old King James Version. God, the Bible, the pursuit of truth. To be completely honest with you, I don't know what or who I love more, God or the Bible. I loved, that's thats with the E.D. I loved God, I'm sure, and I know that I loved Jesus. I believed in the Holy Spirit, but I thought he was MIA after the first century. But it was the Bible that I felt especially connected to. I love the stories, the theology, but most of all, its habit of referencing itself and watching scripture come together in beautiful ways, and I still enjoy this. I remember wanting to become a walking center column reference. My granddaddy and mom taught me how to do word studies using common English words, and I have several of these preserved in old notebooks for my first years of ministry. Whenever I see a new connection between two passages, I get a feeling of excitement and joy that I don't feel much in any of my other hobbies and interests. I'm excited right now, just thinking of the possibility, but I think that this feeling was almost, almost idolatrous at times, and my motivation to preach and teach often came from the overwhelming need to share these connections I was seeing, but if someone didn't get it, this would sometimes lead to broken relationships, hurt friendships, and my eventual excommunication. I had elevated my own insights and intellect to a place above the simple, simple, beautiful gospel of Jesus. So part of my ministry now is attempting to undo a lot of what I did and what others continue to do. Let's talk about my granddaddy. Other motivation in my earlier years came from wanting to live up to my granddad's high standards. When a visiting preacher came through or even one of our regular ministers, unfortunately, my family would critique them endlessly. They didn't preach the Bible. They just preached about the Bible. (laughs) Or they just preach near the Bible. Wow, they use the ESV. Don't they know that it teaches once saved, always saved? This critique drove me to want to perfect the art of preaching. Change change a a typo real quick. These critiques drove me to want to perfect the art of preaching. I wanted to craft my sermons to be biblical, filled with truth, and delivered in a way that didn't fit into a three-point sermon outline. Ooh, my granddaddy did not like the, the Memphis School of Preaching at all, <laughs> um, which ended up being a good thing for me, but that's a story for a different day. I wanted to preach from the overflow like the great Gus Nichols. I wanted to use sound logic like the mighty debater Guy in Woods, a master at his craft. And I wanted to see the Old Testament and use the Old Testament like Foy E. Wallace and Franklin Kemp. I read what he told me to read. I tried to do what he told me to do, and I adopted his philosophy as strictly as I could by always offering a biblical five-step invitation, preaching using my word studies, and despising suit and tie, capital P, preachers with their uniforms, three-point sermons, and holier-than-thou attitudes. Sorry about that to any uh, Memphis School of Preaching grads out there. Uh, that is, I'm sorry that you had to wear a suit. <laughs> so, but much of what my granddad taught me. Has stuck with me until today. The terror of the Lord. Of course, there was also the terror of the Lord, as the King James Version translates Second Corinthians five eleven. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. I'm not crying as I wrote these words, but my br- my breaths are shallow and I feel the tears as I think about the pressure I felt in one of my sermons, if not the first sermon, to present baptism in such a way as to convince my grandmother to obey the gospel in the way I thought she ought. I remember it being applied that she didn't listen to her husband or her children, but she might just listen to her grandson. For far too long I thought that almost everyone else around me was going to hell, including many people in my family and 99% of my classmates. I know for sure that my preaching and teaching were motivated by that. I used to stop in to talk to, quote, denominational preachers to try to teach them the uh, the truth. I hung flyers on other churches' doors. invite them to study the Bible with me. And I did all of this because I was afraid of going to hell, and I didn't want the words of the old hymn to come true. You never mentioned him to me. That song, by the way, and the other one, what's it called? Uh, If I don't get to heaven, it'll be nobody's, 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 no, 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 nobody's fault but mine. Yeah, I'm glad those are out of my life. Okay. (laughs) I was alive in many ways, but I was also dead and in bondage to my own failures and shortcomings. Baptism of fire. I'm not going to rewrite my book, but if you go to my website, uh, danielcrogers.gumroad.com, or danielr.net, and click on the word resources, it'll take you to my uh, store, and you can read or listen to Exploring Faith. Or what am I was saying? You can read or listen to how a 25-year-old learned he wasn't the only one going to heaven for free by using the code EFPG. That's danielcrogers.gumroad.com. Use the code EFPG on the "Why How a 25-year-old Learned He Wasn't the Only One Going to Heaven book, and you will be able to read or listen to that for free uh, through PDF or through MP3s. It's best to use the Gumroad app. If you need to know how to do that, send me a message. I will say, though, that being excommunicated by my tribe, much of which was my fault, but inevitable, I do think, was the best thing that happened to me in my 20s. If that had not happened... I would not have allowed myself to ask questions I desperately needed to ask. Is everyone else really going to hell? Is my way the only way? Did my family really have it all figured out? Did I? Do I? Will I? (laughs) What I found out, and later learned to celebrate, is that one cannot be baptized by the Spirit without being baptized by fire. John says, and, not, or. But thankfully the fire is not to destroy the person, instead it is to season and purify, as Jesus said, for everyone will be salted with fire. These questions and others like it helped me to change my approach to scripture, my view of God, and therefore my philosophy of ministry, preaching, and life itself. Everything from how to parent to how to preach was transformed by this wonderful, traumatic, wholly awful experience. As St. John of the Cross wrote, I came to love the dark night because of the excruciating ways in which my soul was purged to the false self. I cherished the old rugged cross, through which the world was crucified to me, and I to the world. Following in the steps of Abraham, Genesis twelve one, and Ruth, Ruth two eleven, shout out to Brian Zond, on his series on Ruth, I had to leave mother and father and granddaddy, and learn to find my own faith. On to now, So what is my motivation now? I love you, the listener, (laughs) but I'm going to change the question a bit. I'm going to narrow it down a little bit because I think the reasons are more obvious for why I do podcasts and write what I write. I want to help you, the listener or the reader on Substack, to learn more about this awesome, loving God we serve by sifting through our shared old beliefs and interpretations and finding new, but at the same time ancient, ways to express our faith. So, in the midst of confusion and controversy, here's the question, what do I want my congregation to learn of God's truth, that is, Jesus, by the end of this particular season our congregation is in, right, as a man, Christian, and minister? First, the first thing I have to do personally, this is something I'm terrible at, by the way. It's really easy to do it through a podcast or through a book. Much harder in person. This requires me to be brave and to cast off the spirit of timidity like Timothy had to do, 2 Timothy 1. I've got to be brave. I've got to have tough conversations. I've got to be a leader. It's hard. I Matthew. Mean, I, I think I can do it, but it's hard. But if that does happen, if I can get the courage, then what happens next? Freedom in Christ. My first inclination is to write about the freedom we have in Christ. That's, that's one of my major motivations. I want the progressive. By the way, the terms I'm about to use are highly situational and apply only to our little branch of the COC, I don't actually mean progressive people, and I don't actually mean traditional people. Those terms mean something totally different in a Church of Christ context. I mean, progressive can mean, in some context, has a fellowship hall. So let's not get too excited. <laughs> I want the progressive people to be free, listen, to both practice and not practice what they want. And I want the traditional people to be free to both practice and not practice what they want. What I mean is that I want the Spirit of Christ, as described by Paul in Philippians 2, to be so prevalent among them that they are tripping over each other to make space for each other. I want the people who enjoy contemporary songs, just as an example, to complain that we aren't singing enough older songs, and the people who prefer the older songs to complain that we aren't singing enough contemporary songs. But this attitude, only comes when you really begin to understand the limitless, the omnipotent grace and mercy and freedom available to us. God's mercy is omnipotent. Man, what a what a thought. See, when you're in on the joke, life becomes so much easier and fun. Your hardest trouble is witnessing other people who don't know that. That's the hardest thing about it. You can laugh at yourself and at slash with each other because the only thing that matters, yes, the only thing that matters, and would you please stop trying to add to it, is faith expressing itself in love. And what better way to love someone than to lay down your life for your neighbor, preferences and all. That's why I recently wrote that one can get just as much out of someone else's worship than they can their own by embracing tradition as tradition. But even if someone doesn't think that their traditions are biblically mandated, it is so hard to find the courage to hold them loosely. Preachers sometimes tell this story about the circus elephant that was abused by placing a spiked collar around its foot. This collar was attached to a stake in the ground, so if the elephant tugged, it would hurt itself the harder that it pulled. Eventually, the elephant gets to the point where the spiked collar is no longer necessary. Just a little thread and a stake is enough to keep them in place. If they could just apply the tiniest bit of pressure, they'd be free from their inhumane conditions. But when you've been attached to the spiked collar for so long, it is hard to embrace the freedom that is right within your reach. And when you've been told your whole life, or for a lot of your life, that people who worship with instruments or women who lead public prayers or people who deviate from the pattern are going to burn forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, then no wonder people have a hard time changing, even though they may not believe those things anymore. The psychological and spiritual manipulation many of us have undergone, often by sincere and loving people who did it unknowingly and were just passing on their wounds, it's hard to overcome. You know, thanks to Thomas Keating and his trilogy on centering prayer, I've found certain tools that have helped me over the years, but I still find my hands glued to my side, even when I want to raise them in worship. Reconciliation with each other and with God. When I told my secretary, who is way more than a secretary, she's a co-laborer in the gospel, a true shepherd and a close friend, about this essay that I'm writing, which was written for my mentor, Uh, By the way, she asked me what was the first thing that came to my mind. I answered, Freedom in Christ. This section, uh, the section title here that I just read to you, Reconciliation with Other and with God, was her answer and one that resonated with me. I told you she had a pastoral spirit. What she wants more than anything is healing and true peace. I totally agree with her. John wrote, What we have seen and heard we also declare it to you so that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. First John 1 John 1.3 Reconciliation with the Father is a prerequisite for reconciliation with each other. But how are we reconciled to the Father? Paul told the Corinthians that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. But there's something else I want you to notice in this passage too. Here it is. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. When Jesus was on the cross, the Father did not turn his face away. He was right there with him. Love the picture the shack presents with the marks of the cross being visible on the wrists of God. But notice the middle part of the passage, not counting their trespasses against them. Now, I I believe that baptism is for the remission of sins, maybe in a different way than what we were raised with, and I believe that when we confess our sins to each other, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, but there is something powerful about this idea that God was already not counting the sins of the world long before any of us were ever born. Reconciliation didn't start when you and I heard the gospel or repented of our sins. Reconciliation started in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. The whole purpose was to restore all things that are in heaven and on earth and to bring all things together in Christ. Why? Because God is love. Forgiveness, then, is who God is. Reconciliation is who God is. And he has committed this ministry to us. So how might reconciliation happen among us? By emulating God and starting the reconciliation in our hearts now. By committing to forgive before the conversation ever happens. Because love, Paul says in First Corinthians 13, keeps no record of wrongs. When you go into a conversation expecting it to turn out bad, it usually does. But what if you go into that conversation pre-forgiving the person of everything that they have done or said against you before they even have a chance to apologize and in spite of the fact that they might not? You know, kind of like the dad when he went running to his son before his son ever even spoke a word. And then he refused to even hear his confession. Just just stop it. Just go get the rope. <laughs> Isn't this how we might truly lay down our lives for each other? As Christ did for us? In other words, Romans 5, while they, are, while they are our enemies? The whole point of this essay assignment was to help me, help teach me how to navigate conflict gracefully. And I think this previous point might just be it. And I didn't think about it till I, till I typed it out <laughs> one night at Waffle House at 1.30 a.m. I think I've got it, but I'm going to write out one more point I'd already planned on for the sake of doing one of those three-point outlines I used to despise. Love for others. One of the things I picked up on over the last few years is the distinction between a more individual view and a more corporate view of salvation in Christianity. All Christians believe in corporate salvation to some degree because Paul talks about how Christ is the Savior of the body. But my appreciation for and emphasis of the corporate view, or the communal view, has intensified over the last few years as I've meditated on Genesis 12, 1 through 3. As Richard Rohr has said, the elect are not chosen to the exclusion of everyone else, but for the radical inclusion of everyone else. Or to use the language of Genesis, Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. One of our old songs called, The Gospel is for All, says in the rarely sung Second verse. For why should we bless? Why should we be blessed alone? What I would like my congregation to learn, and maybe you to learn too, and really believe and buy into, is that the church's role is to bring healing to the nations through the message of reconciliation. The picture of the glorified bride in Revelation 21 to 22 envisions a time in which kings come to worship the Triune God. And although there are people outside of the gates, the invitation is always open, and the gates are never shut. I believe if a congregation really believes that, then it doesn't matter how few people attend. They are truly living in the power of God and will participate in the mission of God to reconcile all things to himself through Jesus. Conclusion. I'm over my 3,000 word limit that I was given, uh, but you know I got a feeling that my mentor will forgive me for that for some of the very reasons I mentioned in this essay or this article the grace of our triune God is a wild and creative. It is infinite and incomprehensible and omnipotent, yet it is so accessible that we just have to be open to receiving in order to receive it. This is the gift I want to pass on as I've been given. May our triune God equip you and me and all the people around us to be ambassadors of reconciliation. Wow, I just read the whole thing. That was almost like reading a podcast by itself or doing a whole podcast by itself. I want to go back and talk about one point that I mentioned earlier, though, that I think you'll uh, appreciate here. You'll appreciate it here. Let's see. It's why I want to write to you, why I want to do podcasts for you. It's because I want you to learn more about this awesome, loving God we serve by, quote, sifting through our sh- shared old beliefs and interpretations and finding new but ancient ways to express our faith. There's some passages that just have a strong hold on us, and it's not the passage itself, but it's the interpretation we've been handed down. Like 2 John 9, anyone who comes and doesn't teach the doctrine of Christ, we would think that talks about praise teams and fellowship halls and instrumental music. Uh, when uh, so doesn't. Um, or maybe like Romans 16, 16, the churches of the Christ salute you. Or maybe 1 Corinthians 11 for some of you and the head covering. I've got, I've got something cooking on that. It's just taken a while, but I got something cooking on it. And then what was the other thing? Uh, a couple of other passages. Even the one I referenced in this in this article, Acts 2, 38, baptism for the remission of sins. 1 Peter 3, 21, uh, the thing on Hades and Luke 16 that people turn into like this whole chart and scare people about eternal damnation. Um, but all this weighs on our hearts and minds. Even if you don't believe those things anymore as you were taught them, it's still in there. Like, it's still baggage that you carry, whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not. That's why I have trouble raising hands in worship and others and speaking out when I should speak out, is because of that spiked-collar-elephant analogy I gave a while ago. So that's what this podcast is intended to do from my perspective, is to not only help you deconstruct some of the garbage that you've been given, but also to deconstruct, I mean, sorry, to reconstruct something beautiful. Not something that's new, but something that's ancient. And it's simple faith in Christ. The only thing that matters is faith working through love. And all the culture war stuff and garbage people fight about on Facebook and in these groups and whatever, and on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now, who cares, all of it's meaningless at the end of the day because the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. And so fighting over words and endless genealogies or whatever, to use some of Paul's language, uh, if it was Paul, but to use some of Paul's language is just, it's just such a waste of time, in my, in my opinion. So that's why we do what we do here on Exploring Faith and Pursuing Grace. Yep, 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 yep. All right. Thank you so much for listening, you the listener. And I hope that the Lord blesses you every single day of your life. And I hope especially more that you can learn to have the freedom to not do the things that you prefer just as much as you desire the freedom to do them. In other words, I hope you can be content in every situation. Hope you have a blessed day. May our triune God lift you up today to be a blessing to others.